Welcome to the Desert City Church podcast. What you're about to hear is a sermon given at one of our Sunday gatherings. We invite you to listen to how the story of Scripture is forming our new church. We are currently in a series entitled Desert City Originals, and we're talking about our vision, DNA, and dreams as a church. We're almost three years in, and we feel like we're just getting started. And our hope is that this message will help you become more like Jesus. As you pursue God, may you find your true self. If you have any questions or things we can pray for, let us know. Grace, peace, and much love. It was nice to have a, a break last week. I had my, my dad spoke, and uh, I was in finals in seminary, so it was nice to kind of uh, catch my breath a little bit and uh, hear from him. Uh, we're, we're closing down our series today called uh, Desert City Originals, and I want to look at a passage in Scripture that we actually have looked at quite a bit over the last year. Uh, we, we looked at this passage uh, kind of in a series um, back in like the fall last year, and then this summer we looked specifically at this passage uh, in our Words to Live By series. So it's going to be a passage that's very familiar to you, um, but I think that something, there's a detail here um, that, that I kind of want to look at today because I think it's going to help kind of shape us as we just consider like who we are as God's people in this context. And we've talked about like Desert City Originals. This is a local expression of an eternal kingdom. This is a local expression of, uh, of, of the body of Christ uh, here in North Phoenix. Um, but we're attached to a much kind of larger story, the, the global and historic church. Um, so if you want to look at Jeremiah 29, we'll start, uh, I think it's in verse 4. You follow along with me. It says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So this is, we, we talk about this is a letter. There's a lot of letters in the New Testament. This is a letter in the Old Testament. And it was written by a man named Jeremiah to God's people who were in captivity in Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. And find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So the first call that we have is, is they're, they're, God's people find themselves in exile. They've been captured by the Babylonians. They receive this letter. And in the midst of their mourning, God gives them this mission. And the mission is to establish camp. Even in the midst of captivity. He moves them from this time of mourning into a life of mission. It says, I want you to build houses, plant gardens, work towards the common good of the city. There's this mission that they've been given. It goes on to say, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. 
and I will bring you back from captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So there's this calling and mission, but then there's also this promise that God is going to return his people to their home. But what's so interesting in this passage is the, the 70 years, the time frame. After 70 years, this is going to take place. 70 years. If I'm receiving this letter and I'm, I'm probably like, you know, I'm, I'm 34 years old. I'm counting 70 years. I, 70 years, I'm not going to be around in 70 years. At least I hope not. <laughs> 70 years. 70 years. I, you, okay, so God's telling us to, to build houses and to plant. 70 years. He says, I know the plans I have for you, but 70, that's a long number. Most of us in this room probably won't be around in 70 years. So what's going on here? How is God giving a calling to his people and they're crying to go home? And he's like, yes, I hear you and I've got this promise for you and I have plans for you, but... That takes place in 70 years. What a time of waiting for God's people. And I wanted to bring this up because as we consider the way that God works, I like to say that so often some of the best stories in Scripture take years to develop. Take years to develop. We see this throughout Scripture. These different stories of of Joseph the plans that God has for Joseph after he gets kidnapped and sold into captivity, where eventually, after a long period of time, he becomes number two in command in Egypt. Or how about Jacob waiting for Rachel, waiting seven years and having to wait another seven years? But the Israelites, when they're in captivity in Egypt and they cry out for 400 years, these amazing stories of God's faithfulness tend to take years to develop. And I think that's important for us to understand as God's people here in this context. He gives us calling. He gives us passion. Not often do we have patience in the midst of it. But throughout Scripture, we find the plan of God developing over long periods of time. The poet, the pastor, uh, Eugene Peterson talks about our spiritual life and following Jesus. And he says, what it is really is it's a long obedience in the same direction. Love that idea. A long obedience in the same direction. I came across this story. These are the kind of stories I love that took place back in 1980. A letter was sent from the Swedish Department of Forestry to the Swedish Navy. And in this letter was a simple title. Dear Sir, Your Lumber is Rady. First of all, I didn't know the Swedes had a navy, but they must have something. They received this letter, though, and it says, your lumber is ready. And they're thinking, what in the world? Why would the, the Swedish Department of Forestry be sending us a letter that says our lumber is ready? So they kind of start looking into it. And what they realized was that they had invested in this purchase of a, of a forest uh, to get lumber for their navy a long time ago. As they started to kind of dig into the story, what they realized is uh, back in 1829, the Swedish planters looked ahead and they said, uh, the way that we're kind of consuming our lumber here and the way that we're building our military, 
we're probably going to be out of the kind of lumber we need to build warships by 1990, 160 years out. So what we need to do is to go and we get this island that's government controlled and plant a forest there. Because it takes about 150 years for this kind of timber to mature so that it can be used for our warships. So we'll, we'll purchase this island and do whatever we have to do to plant so that we can plan ahead for the future. The Swedish Navy is looking at it and they're thinking, this is an investment 150 years later that's being returned. What great foresight. They're like, we don't know what to do with the lumber because we don't build you know, our warships with lumber anymore. But what great foresight to look that far ahead. The story, it's told by the author uh, Stuart Brand in his book, The Clock of the Long Now. But he talks about this concept of having a long view. Having a long view of life. And he says, this is something our culture's kind of like lost. This is the ability to plan the long view way out ahead. To think significantly into the future. To think not just beyond my own life right now or the next five years, but the next generation and the next generation after that. And the book goes on to talk about how, well, they obviously planned for something and technology changed, so there needs to be a way of planning that far in advance with an openness to how the world changes. But he says, don't miss the fact, though, that this Swedish Navy is planning 150 years out. 150 years out. You see, we live in a, a culture that is radically individualistic. And I'm going to be honest, I love that. I love the freedom that we have here in the U.S. I love that we can pursue things uh, and, and pursue happiness and we're not bogged down by different systems. But there are unintended consequences to our individualism. And one of the unintended consequences is we often don't think much about future generations. We might, if we are wise, think about our children's lives. But how often do we think about our children's children? and our neighbor's children's children. It's a verse in Proverbs 13.22 that says this, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, having a long view of life, knowing that the decisions that we make today have ripple effects for the next generation and the generation after that. And what does that mean for us as a church plant? If God's plans take years to develop, one of the things I want to talk about today at Desert City Church is what does it mean to live a life where we leave a legacy? We leave legacy. I'm fairly young, 34 years old. Um, I say that I'm a millennial, although there's a discussion of whether or not I'm Gen X. Uh, I haven't really started thinking about legacy much. But legacy, especially for the people of God, should be, on the it should be a priority on the forefront of our minds. We think about, uh, if we grew up in a church somewhere, it's because someone ahead of you helped start it, helped plant it, helped cultivate something healthy. I think it's the Mark Twain quote. I'm not really sure. There's a lot of quotes on the internet these days that says, all of us are sitting in the shade of a tree that someone else planted. We all sit in the shade 
trees that other people planted, those who have gone before us. And honestly, we are products of the hard work, the sacrifice, the vision of those who have gone before us. And when we consider what's happening here in Desert City, what I'd like to suggest is that it is now our turn. It is now our turn. There's a calling, a responsibility for our generation, what we leave for those who come behind us. Hopefully it doesn't take 70 years, but I thought, wouldn't it be incredible of what's happening here 70 years from now, there's still something going, and they look back, and they say, a group of people who love God and loved each other, committed to a cause, and helped create something. Last few weeks, we've been talking about just some of the demographics of, of, uh, of Phoenix, of, uh, specifically of Desert Ridge. Um, I love this community. I really love this city. I love Phoenix. I've moved away a few times, and every time I miss it, uh, my heart beats for Phoenix. I'm a diehard Phoenix Suns fan. I can't wait for the Cardinals to start. I love hiking. I love everything about the city. But this part of the city, North Phoenix, uh, is interesting. We talked about how just the Desert Ridge community has over 20,000 people living in it. There's no other churches within the community. There's churches near the community, but none within. If you drive 10 minutes outside of Desert Ridge, it goes from 20,000 people to 150,000 people. If you drive 15 minutes away, that number doubles to 300,000 people. You start to run into some other churches, which is great. We need more churches. But of that 300,000 people, 15% would identify as followers of Jesus. 15%. It's not a very big number. You almost don't believe it, and then you go to like the Phoenix Open, and you're like, okay, yeah, I believe it, right? <laughs> but especially here in Desert Ridge, and I think what is so unique about this community is because of the freeway system, uh, we can get anywhere pretty quickly. We have people driving from all over, um, and the hope is uh, to, to stay in this community long term. My mentor, uh, one of my mentors, uh, He's a pastor out in Washington, D.C., and uh, he's getting a little bit older. He's in his mid to late 60s. And I remember him talking about his plan to leave a legacy. And he got to that church in D.C. when he was in his mid-20s. It was a small church of about 100 people. And he put together a plan for the board, and it was a 40-year plan. And his board looked at him and said, you're young. Pastors don't put together 40-year plans. Pastors last like seven years at a place. You have a 40-year plan. He said, I have a 40-year plan. This is what we're going to do. And it had these projections on how they would grow, how many people they would reach for Jesus, what they'd be doing missionally in the community around the world. And what's amazing is he's been there, I think, for like, like 30-something, 35 years, and he's right on target, along obedience in the same direction. I started thinking about that, and I was like, boy, I've already moved around quite a bit. But to dig in somewhere, to say, I want to be a part of something that's very ordinary and small and mundane, but over time, through faithfulness, create something extraordinary. Create something that is significant. When you look at how that church has grown from like 100 people to over 3,000, 
and they're now planting other churches in their community. They're involved uh, in many ways missionally, especially in the heart of D.C., working with different nonprofits. They're planting churches over in Europe. They're in Africa. They're in South America. They're everywhere. Amazing what happens. This slow and steady over time. And when we think about what we're doing here as a legacy, to be a part of establishing a church that serves this community, that serves our city and serves our world, we need to have this long view. Legacy can be defined as what lives on after we die. What lives on after we die. I want to live a life of a legacy here at Desert City. Looking at a Different people have uh, left great legacies. There's a number to choose from. But the name Jonathan Edwards came to my attention. I thought his life was significant. Jonathan Edwards was a minister right around the Great Awakening. He and his wife felt called to ministry. They spent time uh, serving local church, doing a number of different things, writing books, uh, serving the community. They also produced 11 children. Sounds like a Desert City family, right? <laughs> 11 children. Like, we're not even, like, yeah. So, but as you kind of, like, look at the life of, of Jonathan Edwards and his wife and, like, what they've done in the community, um, really what's significant isn't necessarily what they did. And what they did was amazing. But you start to look at the, the life of their children and their children's children. And you start to realize that they raised children who raised children who have just done unbelievable things uh, for our culture. The effects of Edwards' lives have been uh, far-reaching. The most measurable results of their faithfulness to God's call, it's found in these descendants of Jonathan Edwards. Elizabeth Dodds records a study done by A.E. Winship back in 1900, and she lists out just a few of the accomplishments of 1,600 people that have kind of come from this couple. And these are some of the things that she found from the Edwards family. 100 lawyers and a dean of a law school, 80 holders of public office, 66 physicians and a dean of a medical school. 65 professors of colleges and universities, 30 judges, 13 college presidents, three mayors of large cities, three governors of states, three United States senators, one controller of the United States Treasury, and one vice president of the United States. It came from this family, this family that committed to loving God, loving others, and being fruitful and multiplying, right? Not all of us will be fruitful and multiply like that. But you think of just the ripple effect of this family that were committed to the generation after them and committed to the generation after them. They start living this legacy. We want to be a part of doing things that will outlive us. And what's amazing here at Desert City is there's opportunity to make a difference. I think that our, our, our city needs a number of great churches, large and small, traditional and contemporary uh, and we need all of those churches. And I don't think that there's one better way to do church than another. But what is really resonates with my heart is what's happening here. Community. Authenticity. Um, organic growth. I love this church. And I've been, as a pastor's kid, I've grown up in the church. And I tell this to Marcy, this is like the favorite, my favorite church I've ever belonged to. I can't wait to see everyone on Sunday. Um, and I want other people to be a part of that community because I think that God is doing something here that is special and significant, and it takes a lot of time. But I wonder what legacy 
Do we consider legacy as we consider our own lives and our own life in the church? What are we building? What are we giving our lives to? What is this legacy that you want to leave? Throughout the letters of Paul, the Apostle Paul, we find this great phrase where he opens his letters, where he's talking about, every time I think of you, I, I, every time I remember you, I thank God. And there's this continual remembrance as Paul considers these church communities that he goes and he visits. But there's one church in particular in Thessalonica that he writes to. And he writes not only about this continual remembrance, but he writes about kind of how they established a legacy there. And I want to kind of look at this passage as we kind of uh, close our time. 1 Thessalonians 2 and 3. Paul's writing and he says, We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. A great phrase. One of the translations says that I continually remember. I continually remember. There's this remembrance of the work of that church in Thessalonica that blessed the life of Paul. And he knew that it blessed the life of his community. And then there's these three things. Work, produced by faith. Labor, prompted by love. And endurance, inspired by hope. And that's the work of the church. Work, produced by faith. What we do, not only in this building, but as we leave this building, what we do with our lives, is a work that is produced by our faith. Grounded in the story of God's redemption. It is the foundation for everything that we do. We live a life with a certain urgency and purpose because of what God has done on the cross, what he's done for us, and what he has called us to. It's driven by our faith. It's driven by our faith in who God is. I was, uh, went to school in Indiana for college back in the day. And uh, I remember getting to college and uh, going to buy my books, going to the bookstore. And this was like before Amazon and Half.com and all that. So you'd actually go to the bookstore and, you know, spend a ridiculous amount of money on college books and then sell them back for like nothing. Um, that might still happen. I think somehow colleges have figured out how to get money from people. But um, I remember going to the bookstore and I ran into, there was a, a girl that was working there and her name was Joni Johnson. And went to buy books from her. And when I went, she said, oh, your last name is Jared Doe. She's like, yeah, I know your family. And I was like, you know my family? And she said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a missionary kid. I grew up kind of all over the world. And uh, I know that you're, you're, your dad's friends with my dad. And they've, they've actually, the church that you grew up in has, has supported us for a long time. And I'm hearing this, and my first thought was, um, well, maybe you should give me a discount on the books. <laughs> maybe, you know, a little 10%, you know, you, you work here. Um, and she said no. So, no. Uh, but then I, but it, it's interesting to reflect back on that story. Uh, for her, um, there was this, this legacy of our parents had been friends. And 
the church that my, my parents started actually had supported her family overseas, and they had lived in Lebanon, they had lived in Egypt, they had lived over uh, in, in different parts of Asia, um, and, and I had no idea that there was this work produced by faith that was given um, beyond just the small church plant I grew up in, and there was this remembrance from her, oh yeah, like you guys were there, you helped out, you supported us. There's work that is produced by faith. Um, Legacy is being reminded of that work over time. It was like one of those first moments where I realized like there was legacy that was left by my parents as they worked faithfully in a small church plant. Uh, That impacted the life of this person and I randomly run into them in college. Um, Second thing, labor. Labor prompted by love. I say that word labor um, here at Desert City, it has maybe a different meaning. Shauna Stansel is here today, which is exciting. She just had labor a few weeks ago. <laughs> uh, she brought her baby, don't breathe on it. Um, when you think of uh, the word labor, we often think of work, uh, but it's interesting to think of like what a woman goes through in the labor process, right? I don't know if that's necessarily what Paul's talking about here. Um, but it's intensive, it's painful, it's uncomfortable. Um, but it's something that when it's over and they experience the new child, they realize like everything that they've gone through is, it doesn't matter because of this great love for the child. There's this labor prompted by love. And sometimes like starting a new church, I don't even want to say it's like, you know, the pain we go through feels like what a woman goes through in labor. Because I, I know uh, not to make those kind of <laughs> connections. Um, but there's this labor of, of creating something new uh, that's prompted by love. And as we establish this new congregation, this local expression of this global kingdom here in this place, There's labor pains, there's struggles, there's discomfort, uh, there's waiting, and it's hot in this room sometimes, um, but it's prompted by love, because we know what we're producing here um, is giving life to something new that will grow up, give life to the next generation, and to think about our work as with a long view that we're establishing a legacy here in North Phoenix, I think is significant. What are we giving our lives to? When we commit to a local church, we're giving our life to the body of Christ, and we're thinking about the community and our neighbors, and the next generation of our neighbors, and the next generation of our neighbors. There's this labor that's prompted by love. And then finally, as Paul says, there's an endurance an endurance inspired by hope. We endure because of our hope. The Christian hope is this. That history is going somewhere. The Christian hope is that there's this victory that's been won and it's playing itself out and at some point God comes back and all of the things that are broken, all of the things that have been flooded, all of the things that have been destroyed are being healed restored, redeemed, and reconciled. And we have this hope as followers of Jesus that inspires us to 
to endure life here and now. We are eternal creatures, part of an eternal kingdom where the sovereign God is putting things back together. To be a follower of Jesus, to be a part of a church, is to be invited into this story that we're working with God to bring about salvation, reconciliation, and redemption. No matter what we go through in our circumstances, we endure because of our hope of this amazing story. God has not given up on this world. He sent his son Jesus into this world. Jesus revealed to us the heart of God. Jesus took all of the brokenness, sin, evil, to the cross. He absorbs the consequences of that evil so that we may have life. We're invited into the story, the Christian hope. And our invitation for you is to join that story. We think this has individual ramifications and it has huge community ramifications. What it means to follow Jesus. The Christian hope that we live together with God, that everything is restored, everything is put back together. We give our life to that. That is a cause worthy to give life to. I want to close with this quote from Benjamin Franklin. He says, if you, would not, if you would not be forgotten as soon as you were dead, either write something worth reading or do something worth writing. Love that. I think what we're doing here is something worth writing about. And as Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, they have done something that's worth writing. I want to give my life to something that's worth writing about. The band's going to come back up here, and uh, we're going to end our time with communion. And I want to reflect today on a couple questions as we head towards communion. The first is, what legacy are you leaving? What is going to live on after you die that you're giving your life to? And that starts as an individual question. What does that mean for you, your family, the people that you come into contact every single day? What type of legacy are you leaving, are you working towards? And the second question is, what does that mean for us as a community? What kind of legacy are we leaving? What kind of legacy are we living? How are we giving our life to things that will live on after we die. As we reflect on that question, we move to communion. And I want to read this from Paul again in 1 Corinthians as he talks about communion. He says, What I received from the Lord, I also passed on to you. From what I received from the Lord, I also passed on to you. This is the language of legacy. The Lord on the night he was betrayed took bread, and we had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant. Do this whenever you drink it, remember in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Lord, as we move to communion, we are reminded of this story. The legacy that you left on the cross that outlives death. In fact, you conquered death. You invite us into this story, Lord. And as your church, 
as a new church. As a new church, Lord, this is something that we want to give our lives to, to live a life of significance, to build things that live beyond our death, that bless our children and our children's children. We thank you for calling us. Lord, we ask that today, as we reflect on our own legacy, that you would prompt us, you would give us purpose that is divine. You would remind us that our lives matter. You would empower us with your spirit to work and to labor and to endure. Full of faith, love, and hope. So Lord, we give you this time. We love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. When you're ready, you can move to communion. And then Tim will close our time in prayer.